0: Welcome to Swift Unscripted. I'm Mary Shu, and I'm connecting with you from the Swift Center Satellite Office at the University of New Hampshire. Today we're interviewing Dan Habib. Dan is the filmmaker and photojournalist for Swift, and he's the creator of award-winning documentary films, including Samuel, which has been translated into 17 languages, Who Cares About Kelsey, Restraint and Seclusion, Hear Our Stories, and many other short films on disability-related topics, including a recent TEDx that Dan did titled Disabling Segregation. Dan, the first time I met you, it was almost 30 years ago, and you were the photo editor for a statewide newspaper, The Concord Monitor. Do you remember that?
1: We can't be that old, are we?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. No, yes, actually. Um, you wouldn't know it. Uh, you were hired to photograph the earliest efforts in New Hampshire to include students with significant disabilities in their neighborhood schools. And uh, I just have to say it's a personal honor to... Know you as a friend and as a colleague through all of this work. So, tell us how you got into filmmaking.
1: Um, well, thanks, Mary. Same right back to you. In terms of, <laughs> it's an honor to know you and work with you. Um, actually, that story I did, which was in 1991, was was a story I just decided to do at a local elementary school when I was working for the Concord Monitor newspaper. So, I was a photojournalist for 20 years before I ever got into filmmaking, and. Um, I honestly can't even remember why I decided to choose that story. It just seemed like a very compelling um, situation, and it it was long before I had Samuel, long before I had any personal connection to disability, but I had just heard about the fact that they were trying this approach called mainstreaming, where they were starting to include some kids with disabilities in general education. It was this grand experiment. Uh, Of course, it wasn't. I mean, people have been doing it in other places and and throughout um, the country, but very sporadically. And so there was this young boy, Todd, who was spending a lot of time in general education classes, even though he was nonverbal and used a wheelchair. And I spent several months documenting the story. And um, it became a really profound kind of milestone in my life for a couple reasons. One is because we later became neighbors with Todd's family and got to know him for decades since then. And also my son Samuel ended up attending the very same elementary school. So uh, in fact, in my film, Including Samuel, I talk about the fact that disability was really not a big part of my life. And this was one of my first exposures to disability was seeing what was happening at Beaver Meadow Elementary with early inclusion practices. That's
0: right. That's right. Now I'm totally remembering. So at the time, we had one of the first federal grants to introduce inclusive education into local schools. And so we were doing that work at the University of New Hampshire. And you did the photo essay, the story of the Concord Monitor, and we connected in that way. I remember seeing those photos and saying, yeah. Oh my goodness, this is the work that we're doing here at the university. Right. And how do we get a hold of those photos, which some of them are still in our offices today.
1: Yeah, I think I think it was just a, a part of a larger theme yeah. that I've always looked at in my work in terms of who are the voiceless in our society and how do you put a spotlight on issues that need attention. So whether it was Inclusion you know then called mainstreaming, whether it was welfare reform, I've done stories on Jamaican migrant workers i've been I went to China and did stories on the youth there, trying to create political change. Um, you know, I've always just looked for those stories that kind of need to be told and of course, now that I have a some of a disability, that's become really the focus of all my storytelling
0: do you um, do you think that? those early influences before Samuel was born um, it gave you any kind of direction or or influenced your thinking about Samuel's future I mean you're photographing Todd in those early days before Samuel was born
1: I you know I, I think I think it was less about the photography and more about the people I got to meet um, because of, of the work I did but even more so I mean one of the other kids that were being that was being um, a, a young boy that was being kind of mainstream at the time, was a boy named Andrew Dixon. And his mother, Beth, is now a colleague of mine and is one of the leaders in the disability rights movement in New Hampshire and helped start the leadership series that my wife and I went through here in New Hampshire, which is part of the Partners in Policymaking Nationally. So I feel like it was less about the photography influencing my thinking and more about other parents that were trailblazers. Uh Those are the Uh ones that have really influenced my wife and uh, you know our way of seeing Samuel's um, path through education and the world.
0: I am really glad you brought up Beth Dixon because Beth has written a couple of blogs for Swift Talk. So if um, people are interested in in hearing more from Beth Dixon who's really been a leader uh, parent leader in inclusive education, you can check her out at swiftschools.org um under Swift Talk. So she's written a couple of like how to influence Uh, individual education plans to promote inclusive education and other topics so thank you for bringing her up
1: and just to kind of top that off I mean Beth the fact that I went through leadership and the fact that I was around people like Beth Dixon and Ann Dillon and and you and other people with disabilities in New Hampshire that really got me to understand the power of inclusion for Samuel and why Uh that was going to be a critical part of his success in education his success socially in every way and and that whole experience led me to do including Samuel. I never would have done including Samuel the film without getting to know people like Beth. Um, and 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 so that so in, in some ways that experience of being in that elementary school and seeing Todd, you know, navigate his way through through general classrooms really did spark my whole interest in filmmaking.
0: Wow. Okay. So you moved from um, being a photojournalist to a filmmaker, and including Samuel was your first film. Yes. Yep. And, uh, again, that's translated into 17 languages. It's such a powerful educational tool and just a beautiful film to watch. And um, now you're working with Swift as the filmmaker for Swift. Can you talk about your role?
1: Sure. Tell, tell us
0: what that looks like.
1: Sure. So, um, so you know, my job here at the Institute on Disability is kind of split up into several different pieces. So uh, a big chunk of my work is the feature-length documentaries I do, like Who Cares About Kelsey, including Samuel, Restraint and Seclusion, um, hear our stories, et cetera, and then there's a new project that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but about a, about a quarter or a little more than that of my time is as the Swift filmmaker. And so what is involved is many, many different levels of, of work in that area. So in one sense, it's just being a part of the discussions that are going on with Swift and learning from all the different people that are in the leadership of Swift in terms of what do we what stories do we need to tell? What are the stories that are going to really change the way that school's Practice that are going to support the, the transformation efforts that Swift is leading. Um, and so it's been a really, a really wonderful kind of collaborative process of just trying to say how do we um, how do we focus our efforts to use film as a tool for social change and educational change? So what I physically have done is I've gone around the country initially to the knowledge development sites that Swift had. Um, so I was able to travel to San Francisco and Los Angeles, um, to Wisconsin, to Florida, to Boston, and the footage from those uh, shoots ended up resulting in the Swift and 60 films, uh, which are 10 films that are in the Swift Guide. Uh, also, the All Means All film that's also on the Swift website and uh, YouTube channel. And then the the 14-minute Henderson film, which looks at some of the domains and features for Swift. So that, that took a couple of years. I also worked on a film called Taja, which has been part of the whole Swift website. And then we realized that kind of for the next phase, we needed to Let me interrupt deeper. you yeah, for a moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, can you just briefly describe... What is a knowledge
1: development site? Sure. So the knowledge development sites um, was one of the first phases of SWIFT was to identify schools around the country that were seen as leaders in inclusive education and had already implemented practices like collaborative teaching and multi-tiered systems of support and universal design for learning and parent engagement, family engagement, Um, you know, all the different features and domains. No, no one school was perfect, and no one school did it all. But all these schools. Were incredibly um, advanced nationally in terms of their practices,
0: and they've sustained these practices over time.
1: As far as I know, <laughs> <laughs> they have certainly. When I was there, I saw incredible yeah. work being done, um, both in terms of inclusive academic instruction, inclusive behavior instruction. You know all the different things we talk about with SWIFT. So it was important to document those. I know they, those practices were also documented through research and through observations and through film. Um, so that was a great starting point for the material, but. We've since kind of moved on to really uh, seeing the need to go to some of the implementation states. So SWIFT, as many of our listeners will know, is now being implemented in Maryland, Mississippi, Oregon, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And and also, we really wanted to show not only what was happening in those states, but specifically what was happening in certain key um, issue areas. One was in middle schools. We've determined there's really a great need to show inclusive practices working in middle schools, We've seen that there's an important um, need to show diverse schools, schools with a lot of ethnic diversity, um, socioeconomic diversity, and and you know, and some real challenges that are that are that schools around the country are facing, and that the kind of the practices that Swift has been implementing can work in a, a wide array of schools. So basically what you know, we can talk more about it, but what's happening is in these um, three states that I've been to: Maryland, Mississippi, um, Oregon. In Oregon, thank you. <laughs> um, we spent some time filming and really looking at um, what are what, what's, what's happening in these schools to help all kids participate and thrive in the general education classroom and learn the general ed curriculum, but also what are some of the challenges. And so the next two films I'm working on are going to um, capture what does that kind of integrated educational framework look like. So what does it look like when you see Collaborative teaching and peers learning together, and you see universal design for learning happening in the classroom. What does that look like? What What is it? What How are the teachers planning for those um, those practices to happen? How are principals and superintendents leading that effort? How are parents involved? How are students involved in leadership uh, roles? Um, so anyway, there's a, there's a lot of exciting work being done right now.
0: So schools are pretty receptive to having you and your crew come in and film.
1: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, they, no, they have been for sure. It's a lot yeah. to ask a school to have a film crew parachute in. And there's a lot of logistics just like getting yeah. releases on all the Oh, kids, I can imagine. Um, and prepping all the staff. But yeah, they, I think, you know, they're very proud of what they're doing and they're excited to have it highlighted.
0: And And how are parents involved in this? In the filming? Yeah.
1: Um, You know, to to as much of an extent as they can be, you know, in some schools, parents are just very engaged in the schools. So Mm -hmm. when we're there filming, we're seeing families. We're not just parents, but grandparents. Uh, We're seeing a lot of family members there. We see them out on the playground. We see them after school. We interview a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've tried to, as much as as Swift is trying to engage parents in school transformation, we're also trying to involve them in the films.
0: Um, Thank you. So... What are some um, some of the images, some of the stories that are that really give you hope when you're traveling around the country and uh, filming and interviewing?
1: Well, I was just I've just been editing footage all week and i was I was looking at footage from this one teacher in Oregon, her name is Katherine Johnson. and it was just an incredible example of Universal Design for Learning and just a teacher that had really thought out, how am I going to reach every single student in my classroom with this lesson? And she was actually teaching a lesson about fermentation. It was kind of a food sciences class in middle school. And so what they did was they they started with milk, and so they were doing like this hands-on, very kind of experiential learning with milk. They introduced probiotics into the milk. They made yogurt. So then the next day, when the yogurt had kind of or whatever yogurt does, um, they, uh, they all had stations where they had granola and berries and different things they could put in yogurt. So they had a really fun time just eating it. And then she found this really cool video that the kids watched that showed the fermentation process. And then they physically acted out the fermentation process by dancing around the room and linking hands and arms and doing all that. And then they um, wrote, uh, created pictures that described the fermentation process. So it was just a way, and then of course they worked in groups where they discussed it and did research so it was a way for every type of learner to access this method and and it was fun and it was engaging and it was just like the perfect example and this was a very diverse classroom with kids um, with a lot of different support needs and a lot of different um challenges and and students without support needs all working together
0: wow did you try the yogurt
1: uh i didn't i was too busy (laughs) filming
0: (laughs) um that sounds like um i can i can totally picture the class uh as you described it thank you for that Hmm. um so, in your travels, you must also be learning about or hearing about some of the barriers for schools to include all students in general education classroom. Mm-hmm. What are some of the to talk a little bit about that?
1: right. Well, the thing I probably hear the most um, is in general, without strong leadership, it's very hard to do this well without leaders that that lead this kind of transformation. Now, thankfully, the schools that I'm going to have ex- extremely strong leaders, extremely strong principals. Um, in some districts you have a tremendous amount of district support, in some districts you have less di- district support. I think that's another big factor. If you don't have district level support for these practices, it makes it much more difficult on the schools. I think that in some schools, this is all pretty new to them, to this kind of transformation, and the whole attitude shift is is challenging, that there's this sense that not everybody's on quite on board yet. And a lot of staff. I've I've interviewed staff from teachers to paraprofessionals, even to families who are who are not quite sold on the fact that you know kids with significant support needs should be in the general ed classroom. I, I think they're they're coming around in many cases, but I think the the um, when there are situations where there's struggle or a lack of the proper staffing or organization, it makes it seem it makes it a lot more difficult. So I think the other thing I hear is is that the the, the, um, the organization of a school's resources and staffing is critical. And in some schools, like the Henderson School in Boston, they've been able to, which was a knowledge development site, they've been able to do co-teaching in almost every single grade-level classroom and have also actually reduced the need for a lot of paraprofessional support as a result. In other schools, they're not doing co-teaching, and some of the teachers don't feel like they have enough support. Mm-hmm. Um, the schools that I've seen really seem to be thriving or when everybody's on board and, and everybody is kind of stepping in to help, whether it's a, a speech and language pathologist sometimes co-teaching in a class, or in a school in Mississippi where I saw you know grandparents in classes, I saw this one school in Mississippi where there was a co-teaching situation, and at one point in the day the general ed teacher wanted to do some small group instruction for kids who needed some extra reading intervention, and at that point in the day the custodian came up and helped out in the classroom. So it's just this mentality of all hands on deck and that's when I see things really thriving.
0: Um tell another story. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> stories that, are the best. Yeah, well so yeah, I agree. Stories are the best. I mean, and I do think that stories I think that, you know, research and statistics and all that is critical to make the case for this kind of transformation. But I do think that stories, and I hear this really in Capitol Hill and Washington as well, sometimes it's those individual stories that really affect policymakers and, and affect communities' perception of this kind of transformation. So another thing I hear a lot as, as quote-unquote a challenge is, you know, and I hear this all over the country, not just in Swift schools, is um, we don't have the money to do this. We don't have the money to do inclusive ed. And I don't necessarily believe that because the schools that I've seen that have done this really well, have done inclusive ed well, Uh, are schools that have great leadership and have kind of this common attitude that all kids deserve to be in the general ed classroom. Um, But the thing that really crystallized it for me was being in Sunflower, Mississippi, which is in the Mississippi Delta, one of the poorest areas of the country. And this school district, this elementary school we were in, the James Rosser School, um, has a median family income in the community of $19,000 a year. They have 100% free and reduced lunch it also happens to be 100% African American and they were doing inclusive ed incredibly well. It was amazing. And what they what I saw in the school was the teachers were differentiating their instruction. They were planning for their lessons to make sure they were universally designed. They were engaging community members, especially grandparents. A lot of foster, a lot of um, grandparents were in the classrooms.
0: This was a K through. This was
1: a kindergarten, uh, yeah, elementary school.
0: Elementary school.
1: They had all, you know, the paraprofessionals were not velcroed onto any one kid. They were moving around the classroom, supporting lots of students, leading small group instruction. The related service providers were in there, co teaching. So, so you had three and four adults in a classroom. And this was in a very poor community that was not well resourced didn't have a huge staff. They just had, everybody was pitching in. And there was this shared vision that they all uh, were a part of. And and so I think anytime people say, as I travel around the country, well, we doesn't inclusion cost more and we can't right, do it? Right. I just talk about James Rosser Elementary.
0: And, um, and what did you learn about student outcomes in that
1: school, um, they were actually that school specifically had been uh, what I would you would call you know an underperforming school relative to other schools in the area. They've been in the swift transformation work for a few years now, and I I don't have data kind of off the top of my head, but I know that their student outcome was uh, was on the uh, was on the upswing. You know they were they yeah. were doing better in yeah. math and reading and other areas. One of the other just quick examples that I loved at that school was they had a parent. Um, resource room where parents could come in and use computers and do research. Mm. And so they. So mm-hmm. I think they were seeing parent engagement, not just how many parents can we get to be on the PTO or to volunteer, but how do we truly make this a place where parents feel welcome and, and can draw on the school as a resource?
0: You know, that story... Um, at Sunflower reminds me of the school I had the opportunity to visit with you in Gainesville, Florida, Newberry mm-hmm. Elementary School, and right. that was one of our knowledge development sites. Lacey Red was the principal mm-hmm. at the time, in the exact same sort of, um, uh, it was at one time a low-performing elementary school in a very poor school district, and they started embracing all means all and mm-hmm. and uh, merging general education and special education together in regular classrooms, and we saw student outcomes just mm-hmm. improve right. dramatically.
1: Right, right. And one of the things that I remember in that school particularly, I think it was a boy named Michael who had access oh, yeah. to I communication supports. And I think that's another thing I'm seeing more and more is that... Um, kids who need and would benefit from communication supports are getting access to them younger and younger. And and you know yeah. Samuel my son uses a, a communication device and he started in 3rd grade and now I wish we'd started even sooner exploring yeah. communication supports, you know, even earlier in his life. So I I think that's a critical part of creating access to students is both both techn- both kind of um, dedicated technology in some cases to a certain student but also just introducing the kind of technology in a classroom so that all kids can access the material in, in a variety of ways
0: absolutely uh, so I think what I'm seeing is that the more students with a variety of disabilities are included in general education the more um, the more opportunities people, have to consider various technologies that would support the classroom. I think it opens people's mind up to Mm -hmm. possibilities and uh, really encourages people to be more creative.
1: Right, right. Well, we, you know, we know that Thing, approaches that started in special ed and were used at, at one point seen as kind of special ed approaches like multi-tiered systems of support or universal design for learning or differentiated instruction have of course now been seen or seen as just good educational practices. Um, I do think there's a, certainly an effort within SWIFT that I really am excited about around reducing those silos to breaking down the silos between special ed and regular ed and just seeing the starting point. Is that schoolwide? You know, multi-tiered system of support, the universally designed instruction, a lot of planning going on, a lot of collaborative teaching. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I truly believe the way that Swift is kind of approaching this. I'm seeing it work in the schools that I visit when it's done with fidelity, when it's done well. And, and I tell you, but the key thing is having the leadership in place that believes in it and that is also supporting the staff, you know, and listening to the staff and understanding that the staff sometimes feels overwhelmed or or um, confused about how to do certain things and that, that those leaders then provide the kind of professional development or support that the staff needs to feel empowered as well.
0: Um, so your films... They 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 tell these stories, and I I really think that they uh, they give people sort of hope as well as inspiration um, that's really needed to continue to move this work forward. I mean, yes, we have thirty years of research that tell us that all students, students with and without disabilities, do better when they're educated together in general education, but not everybody reads the research, or yeah. um, you know that doesn't necessarily totally resonate with. The way that we think. So filmmaking seems to be able to tell a story beyond the research.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I had a funny situation happen unrelated to Swift a couple years ago when I was um, invited down to speak to the Girl Scouts of the nation's capital in Washington. So I was the keynote speaker at lunch. And so there were about 500 girls in this very noisy room. They're all trying to get their lunches, <laughs> buffet style, and they put me up there on a stage. And were, you, right. were
0: they in their girls in their uniforms? Oh, I,
1: I, don't, I can't remember. Some of them were, some of them weren't. <laughs> but the point is, a very diverse group. Very, you know, they were like all teenage girls. So what do teenage girls want to do during lunch after sitting in sessions all morning, not listen to some guy up on a stage, right? They want to talk with each other. They want to eat. So it was a really challenging situation, and so I started talking, and I felt like they were just, com- you know, hundreds of kids are just completely ignoring me. But then all of a sudden, I put up on the screen the the trailer for *Including Samuel*, and the room went quiet, and all eyes went to the front of the room. They were completely absorbed for the three minutes or so that I showed the trailer. The trailer ended, I started talking again. They ignored me again, completely. <laughs> all started laughing, talking, and then and then I put up the trailer for my film *Who Cares About Kelsey*. Complete silence in the room. Everyone's focused, listening again, the movie's over, they ignore me. But the point is that I do think that film has the power to kind of absorb people and reach people in a way that a few other things do. And Mm. so I do think that it also puts you in the classroom. It puts you in the minds and the eyes and the ears of of the teaching staff and the students. And and there are very few other mediums that can do that.
0: Yeah. How do you make sure that your work is truly accessible to everyone?
1: Um, Well, the, the, you know, we actually work hard to make sure that everything we put out there is fully open captioned. So that's really critical for anybody who might have uh, um, hearing impairments. We also make sure that as much as possible for my larger films, the work is audio described. And I'm, I'm very much interested in having these new films. Actually, basically the Swift and 60 films are, are virtually audio described because there's narration over the whole film. But these new films I'm doing will have more scenes where you're just seeing things play out in the classroom, and I'm going to work to have those audio described as well, which basically means there's um, a voice that comes in that quickly describes what people are seeing. So if you're blind or visually impaired, um, you'll have a quick audio description for what people are seeing on the screen that helps Build the whole context, so that's important. And then, of course, just the accessibility of the films—just putting them on YouTube, making them freely available—you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so that anyone can watch them, download them. The Swift films—that's also critical to accessibility. And then, getting the word out, making sure people know that they exist.
0: Um, so, all of your work for Swift is freely available on mm-hmm. the Swift Schools website, yep. and um, and there's also discussion guides that have been created to support educators and families to watch the films and consider their own practices in their schools. So that's, you know, that's excellent. And I I hope people are taking advantage of those. Um, So you're working on a new film Mm -hmm. right now. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So this is um, not a Swift film, but it's a film that I'm really excited about spending a lot of time on. It's called, it has a working title of Intelligent Lives, and this whole project started because while years ago, when I was still working on the Who Cares About Kelsey project, somebody said to me, you know, if, if we could ever really deconstruct the way we perceive intelligence, that would be a powerful way to advance the lives of people with disabilities because, and I've seen this with my own son Samuel, people, because they have a disability, are often seen as being less intelligent just by virtue of having a disability. And that's a huge impediment to anybody in terms of access to school, to employment, to relationships, to, you know, almost any aspect of society. So, I, you know, I've given it a lot of thought as to how to approach this. And I think part of it needs to be to look back at the history of how we got to this point and the history of, of why do we have such narrow views of intelligence and these narrow measures of intelligence like IQ testing. Um, and to me, it's kind of like thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement you can't understand that movement today unless you understand that we're a, a country with a history of slavery and segregation. I mean, we have a deep history of, of racial you know, oppression. And we also have a deep history of oppression of people with disabilities in this country. And so part of the film looks back at You know, the the early origins of IQ testing, that led to mass institutionalization of people with disabilities. It led to forced sterilization of tens of thousands of people with disabilities. It was that same kind of eugenics movement was used by Hitler to justify murdering hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities. And that part of the film is being narrated by Chris Cooper, who's a well-known Academy Mm -hmm. Award-winning actor.
0: And -hmm. and it also leads to, in today's world, the segregation of students with disabilities. Sure, exactly.
1: Yeah. So the foundations of that kind of narrow perceptions of disability, of, uh, of intelligence, still lives on today. And I think it, it, a lot of people um, justify the segregation of people with disabilities by saying, well, they aren't going to get that much out of the general ed classroom, or they're not going to understand the content, or they're not going to be able to keep up. Again, it's low expectations for a lot of people with disabilities, which still, I think, plagues us in most of our schools. But the, the larger part of the film that I'm working on is actually focusing on what would a whole new paradigm look like if we saw everyone as having the ability to bring value and participate in education, in employment, and relationships. So I've, I've already been filming two subjects extensively, two people. One is Micah Fjalka Feldman, who's a young man who um, fought hard to be in inclusive education as an as a, as a, as a elementary school um, kid, uh, who was given this... This IQ of 40 when he was 11 mm-hmm. and who has since gone on to go to college, to uh, go to Syracuse University, to live on the college campus, to co-teach classes, uh, has a vibrant circle of friends. So he really defies all the stereotypes, you know, of somebody with this quote-unquote low IQ. And then I'm also filming back at the Henderson School. They have their high school is in, an incredible place. This is one of the, Again, one of the, uh, the early knowledge development sites for SWIFT. Um, Their high school is fully inclusive. There's no segregated uh, environments. They co-teach in every content level classroom and there's a young man named uh, their name Nair who not only is thriving academically, but is also a really gifted artist. And so I've been focusing on him as well. And I'm currently looking for a third subject, which is going to be in the employment realm. So Mm -hmm. that film, there's a preview out of that film at intelligentlives.org that people can watch, a 14-minute preview, and a lot more information about the film. Uh, And then we're going to be premiering and launching the whole project in fall of 2017, along with a companion film that's focusing specifically on post-secondary transition. So high school students with disabilities um, transitioning to college and career and what are some of the best approaches around the country to make that happen successfully.
0: Nice. Uh, That film will uh, be a huge contribution to this work. Uh, I am certain that people are interested in knowing what Samuel is doing today.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, today? Let's see. Probably at <laughs> well, <laughs> school. I think he's in journalism <laughs> class right now as we speak. Um, yeah, actually, Samuel's doing great. He is a sophomore in high school. He's 16 years old. He is... Um, in in our local public high school, he's made the honor roll the last two quarters. He's in general education. He gets um, he he struggles a lot with math. He does really well in in English and social studies and science and all his curriculars But we do do some I would say intensive instruction in math, which we again as an IEP team decided that was the best path for him. So he's so that's the one area where he's not in a general ed class. But again, that was a decision made as a team, and we're and we're happy with that. Um, But he's very involved in extracurricular activities. He's doing unified sports. He plays unified basketball, soccer, and track, which is unified sports is where you have kids with and without disabilities competing on a team together against other schools with and without disabilities. It's a great initiative led by the Special Olympics nationally. Um, He's on the Yearbook Club. He's on the the, uh, Concord High TV station. He's in the Be the Change Club, which is a multicultural club. Supporting diversity within the school. He's got a great circle of friends. Um, Still, we navigate a lot of health issues with Samuel. That's always kind of an undercurrent uh, challenge, which is for a lot of families with kids with disabilities. Um, But he's really thriving. We're Mm. really, really proud of him.
0: Is he interested in a follow-up film?
1: He is. He is interested in in a follow-up film. I haven't quite figured out how to do it in a way that doesn't involve his, like, dad hanging out with him in high school, which doesn't, (laughs) really isn't that appealing, I don't think, to any high school student. Um... But we're, we're th- we talk about it, and, and we hope to think of a way. I may get a GoPro one of these days and just attach it to his wheelchair and have him be the videographer for his own life. <laughs> um, oh, so I we love ha- it. We have different ideas about it. I'm actually speaking in his journalism class on Thursday, and um, and so it's fun. It's still fun to be really involved in his school, and and uh, and just you know just hang out with him and, and work with him. And he's, he's actually doing his own films now a little bit. He in, in, as as his. A universally designed approach to him completing a lot of his homework assignments. It's really hard for him to write like a paper because of his motor skill issues and his speech challenges, but he has become very excited about making short films. So he writes the narration, he selects all the pictures, he selects the video, he selects the music, and then we sit together and uh, he tells me how to, what to put where and how to make the transitions, and he creates these great three and four minute films that he then turns in as homework assignments. And I have a feeling the teachers probably enjoy his uh, <laughs> films maybe even more than some of the papers that are being written
0: yeah a uh, great example of universal design
1: mm-hmm. for samuel right
0: um i guess in closing do you have a definition of all means all
1: um, you know, I was, just, I'm, I was just working on something. I'm also on the Presidential Committee for People with Intellectual Disabilities, and we're working on a report for this year, and the portion of the report I'm kind of leading is on desegregation of education. And I was just working on some notes for that, and I, and I think that the, so the thing that really comes to mind is the fact that the general education classroom needs to be a starting point for every kid. And it's just not. It's just not the starting point for every kid with significant support needs in this country. But I think that you know the, the the foundation of all means all means that parents shouldn't have to fight to enforce least restrictive environment or IDEA. It shouldn't be the impetus should not be on the parents or the kid. It should be on schools to say this is the starting point for every kid, and we're going to do everything we can and provide all the supports that we possibly can. Uh, to make sure that child is successful. And and that's just not happening in most schools around the country. So to me that is all means all. All means all it means that all kids start in the general education classroom and all kids receive the support they need to be successful.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Um thank you for this time this sure. morning. I
1: enjoyed it. Thanks, Mary.
0: Yeah. And to view films created by Dan Habib and to connect with other resources that focus on all means all and inclusive education, go to swiftschools.org and follow Swift Schools on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. And Dan, uh, we look forward to seeing your future films. We look forward to meeting Kathy Johnston and seeing her fermentation <laughs> <laughs> lesson in Oregon, and learning more about your um, about the work of the Sunflower Schools and other Sunflower School and other schools that you are getting to know through this work with Swift.
1: Thanks, and I, sh- I should say that we're going to be hopefully premiering uh, these films this summer. Of 2016, these new Swift films, and uh, they'll. And so after the summer of 2016, they should be available on the Swift YouTube site.
0: Excellent, thank you.
1: Thanks a lot.